Welcome to the Partnership Economy. This podcast explores the power of partnerships through candid conversations with industry leaders. Join our hosts, Dave Yavano, CEO, and Todd Crawford, co-founder of Impact.com, as they unpack the future of partnerships as a lever for scale and an opportunity to put the consumer first. Hello, and welcome to the Partnership Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Crawford, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and co-founder at Impact.com. And today, our guest is Zach Bretherton, AVP of Marketing at Penny Mac Loan Services. How's it going, Zach? It's going good. It's Friday. We are made it another week, so you know we're doing all right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I like uh, recording these on Fridays. It's usually the easiest day to slot these in. And I appreciate you making time for us. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Penny Mac. Any, it's uh, familiar, but uh, why don't you just give us a quick overview of what the company is and the services that you guys provide to consumers? So Penny Mac is a mortgage lender in the consumer space. We focus primarily on you know the consumer side of the industry. You know, conventional FHA, VA, the standard loan products that one would find when trying to buy a home. All right, well, that's cleared all that up. If anybody had any confusion, and you're heading up marketing for that team. So do you want to just give us an overview of the marketing team structure that you're running? Yeah. So right now I oversee a lot of the paid media, a little bit of the analytics, some of the SEO initiatives, a little bit of everything. Our marketing team, we wear a lot of hats. There's a ton of really fantastic team members over here. So we kind of share a lot of hats, but that's what I'm involved on on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, you're not alone with uh, marketers having to wear more than one hat. It seems uh, common in the industry today. It's just so fast-paced and uh, everybody's got to kind of adapt on the fly as uh, the market changes. And yeah, that's cool. Yep, yep, exactly. All right. So you guys are heading up marketing. So I guess, you know, from your perspective, what's really kind of top of mind when you're running the team and uh, trying to hit your numbers, right? I mean, what's what's really the big concern or top of mind for you right now? You know, I think the biggest thing is just data integrity and attribution. You know, how are you supposed to hit your numbers if what you don't know what you're looking at is correct? And I think there's a lot of times where companies in general, and I, I would assume marketers around the world can relate to this, is if you make judgment calls and decisions on where you should allocate your marketing dollars based on the revenue that is driving it. It's not actually the channel that's that's driving the revenue. You know, and I think that that's what keeps me up at night is trying to understand how to best utilize the data and, and the attribution that we have. Yeah, I hear that a lot as well. I think, you know, there's the single source of truth, which is the ideal. But sometimes, you know, if I'm managing paid search, I might be looking at data that I'm getting out of Google or out of the paid search tool. And then there might be some analytics that are painting a different picture of my work, right, which may over or undervalue what I'm thinking I'm doing, right? And where I think the hardest part is when companies switch to a new source of truth. And maybe (laughs) all the work I've been doing managing a channel is suddenly measured a little bit under what I was, you know, being measured by, which means either yep. hopefully my goals have to be realigned, but can be pretty, pretty frustrating. How, I mean, do you guys have more of an internal source of truth or are you using like a third party source of truth? I mean, how do you see the source of truth today? Yeah, without giving away too many secrets, you know, I think we use, we try to utilize a lot of our own, you know, the standard platforms that a lot of people use, a lot of marketers are using these days. You know, I think we try to utilize that one source of truth and we try to lean in on that. You know, I think, where a lot of marketers get caught up is how you attribute 
whether you use last click or you use first click or you use a data-driven, you know, multi-touch attribution approach. I think what happens is companies do it one way. And then to your point, the source of data changes. And then now you have to do it another way. And now it completely skews all of the data that you thought you knew. And I, I think that's what really gets complicated is where you bring in new systems and then all of a sudden everything that you thought you knew completely flips on its head. And now all of a sudden that channel that you weren't giving a ton of love to now becomes a really important channel in terms of creating a funnel. I think that's probably the most important part is, is creating your funnel and being able to understand, did I run a display ad and it drove the top of the funnel traffic, but I'm not actually giving credit to that campaign. I'm giving credit to the campaign to your point, the paid search campaign that's driving the actual acquisition and you're trying to figure out why I can't drive more paid search volume if I put more money into it. But in reality, it's not always the paid search campaign that's driving the volume. It's the display campaign or the social campaign or you know, your, your organic content efforts, whatever it is, you're not assigning true credit to what's working in the end and what's working in the beginning. Well, and the other interesting thing, I mean, obviously for a loan product is it's, it's not a consumable it's not like I get a loan every week or month. And so it's probably a lot more consideration in deciding which lender to go with. But I, I almost try to start to think that in today's housing market, maybe there is a little bit more of a hurry up and fill out an application and get approved so I can buy a property, yeah. right? I mean, I just sold a house and it was a feeding frenzy. I mean, there were just, everybody wanted it. And yep. I felt bad because, and I know that, you know, they were, some had cash, some were pre-approved. I mean, it's just people need to be ready, right? Yeah. Is that something that's shifted or has it always kind of been a little mix of that? You know, I think it lately, so, you know, with the way the market is changing, I think it's everyone knows this, especially whether you're in the housing market or, you know, in the market to buy or refinance. You know, I think you've, everyone has realized with everything going on that mortgage rates are on the rise and they're on the, they're on the rise very quickly. The urgency for people to get pre-approved, but there's there's no stock availability. The homes, there's a lack of homes. There's more buyers than there are sellers, which is the opposite right. of the problem we were having, you know, what is it, 10, 12 years ago, which is there was too much inventory and not enough buyers. Um, right. You know, and I think to your point, it's not a consumable, it's not an e-commerce, you know, style product where you can just run a bunch of social media ads and buy a bunch of refinances online and it's a quick transaction. You know, I think every, anyone who's been a part of the home process, whether it's on the purchase or refi, probably tries to avoid it as much as physically possible because it's such a headache and it is very grueling. You know, and I think everyone in the mortgage industry would probably like to not make it a difficult process, but it's just part of the process. It's the most of the time the biggest purchase that anyone will make. And from a marketing perspective, you know, we really have to approach it from that perspective, which is, you know, you got to be patient. It may take a while for individuals to go from a lead to buying a home. It could take 30, 60, 90 days. You know, and I think that's just standard because just of all the steps and all the hoops and everything that everyone has to go through. So, you know, from the marketing and the mortgage industry side, it's it's definitely a challenge. I would probably liken it to maybe selling cars and, you know, trying to digital marketing for high-end, you know, cars because which is something I have experience in and, you know, working in the car industry in the auto, auto finance industry as well. It's you have to really stay with that customer, which makes that attribution even more even more important because instead of one touch point, it now becomes four touch points. You know, you have the 
the beginning step, which is, you know, you're looking for information. How do you turn information seekers into transaction oriented buyers? You know, they go to a third party, especially now with the rise of third party sites, you know, NerdWallet or any of the car shopping sites, any of them, you know, people right. are looking for reviews, unbiased Reddit, third party services to validate their thoughts, whether conscious or subconscious. So I think that definitely adds, you know, another level of intrigue and complexity into the processes as marketers. So from an attribution standpoint, how do you, do you guys use just one model or do you kind of go, we kind of compare and contrast two models just to give us more of a varied perspective or? You know, I, I think it's prudent to try to use maybe a couple different models, but I think at the end, you also ultimately want to stick to to one model is standard practice. I don't think it's just an us thing. I think if more so, if anything, it's a you know a marketing thing in general. Like you want to pick one way and you want to lean in on it and hone all your data into that one very specific type of of attribution, because then it allows you to to really lean in on your data. And that's you know that's ultimately the whole point here is you want to have the most confidence in your data. And there will always be gaps in your data. I think everyone who's ever been in marketing is always hoping for like the holy trinity of 100% attribution to all their channels. And, you know, they can dump all their money into the channels that are providing the highest return on your ad spend and the ROIs and everything. And that just doesn't exist, at least to my knowledge. And, you know, so you're, you're kind of working with like 80 to 90% maybe confidence interval with like a 10% of like, uh, I think it's over here, but I think it's over there. So, you know, it, it takes a little bit of guesswork as well. So, but I think that kind of like adds to the intrigue of, of being in marketing. So what attribution model do you favor right now? Personally, I am a big fan of multi-touch attribution. You know, I think evenly weighting it across, I think there's like the U-shaped model and then there's also the, like the evenly weighted. And then there's like the time decay where you give less to the beginning and more to the end. You know, I'm a very big proponent of just evenly weighting it across the board. That way, I don't think you assign too much to one source. Because when you start overbalancing the model with your bias, is then when I think companies get in trouble. Excuse me. Uh, you know, companies start getting in trouble because then all of a sudden, like we were talking earlier, they think that last source is the key driver. So they start funneling money into there. And then all of a sudden, you know, your cost per lead goes up. Well, I can't figure out why my cost per lead goes up. Maybe it's come back into the way that you view the model. If you keep things flat, and granted, I do think there are situations where, you know, say if you run a TV spot or an ad or something, and all of a sudden, or you have like a huge sponsorship, and it's, you know, all of a sudden, <laughs> everything spikes on your website, then I think you can maybe assign a little more attribution or a little more weight to something of that of that magnitude. But typically, those things cost significantly more than what you would pay on the down funnel. So I think it kind of weights itself out anyways, naturally. But, you know, I think the more touch points that, and the more weight that you give the better understanding of your funnel that you'll have. Uh, again, I think especially with your your business model, I mean, there's a lot of consideration to moving forward. And, you know, I think obviously rate, interest rate is a big driver. People instinctively just want to find the lowest rate. But uh seems like, like a lot of these content sites, other than maybe comparison, but the education is really important, right? Like what the consumer needs to know and think about when getting a loan, because it's not yep. just all about interest rate always. I mean, it's obviously a big driver. I don't think you'll ever get away from that. But yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And to your point as well, organic content will always be king. And it doesn't matter what industry that you're in. In the end of the day, someone I used to work for marketing who was very SEO focused, one of my old bosses, 
he always told me at the end of the day, when you turn all your paid media spend off, what's left? And that's what's left is your organic, your brand presence. And that's driven by organic search. And it's, right. and a lot of these companies, doesn't matter what industry, reviews, NerdWallet, any of I keep saying NerdWallet because on top of my mind because I was just on there the other day looking at stuff. But yeah. it's, if you're not in the first three to four spots, honestly, it's if you're in the first one to three spots on organic search, you're probably going to get 99% of all the traffic. And a lot of these companies, which are the review sites you're talking about, are all organic content-based sites because they just pump out content, huge content SEO teams. And that's how they win, you know, and they're able to take a lot of the reviews and a lot of the traffic. And a lot of the times, you know, once you kind of get a little edge in one area, it just compounds and compounds and compounds because Google says, hey, people are going here and they're finding value here. Like, let's lean in, let's give them the traffic because it's becoming beneficial, yeah. you know, and that's how people think. People want someone to validate, like, is this the right decision? Exactly. You know, and like, it's like am, more am I, trusted third party. Yeah. Like, even though there's something in it for them, I mean, they're making money marketing yep. your products and services and others, but you're right. I mean, it's like, it feels, I mean, I think I feel confident saying they're unbiased. I mean, they're trying to give consumers, I mean, you go look at like for travel, the points guy, I mean, that, yep. he built that company on, personal experience, right? And people trusted yep. his his personal opinion. And I remember seeing him do a keynote and he had to hire all these people as his company grew and he had to trust that they would have that same approach, you know, this unbiased, basically be him, but yep. not him, right? Yeah, so exactly. We're seeing that across the board. You look at the retailers, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, we term it as content commerce that, you know, you type in anything you want to research. Like I always use my default example is you know, top five chef knives or yep. whatever, you know, top mattresses and all these organic results are all owned by these new aggregators that are basically giving you trusted opinions. So the consumer is trusting them. It doesn't feel like advertising and they can make them a more informed decision. Yep. Yep, exactly. And I'm trying to remember the example I was just thinking about. It escaped me because I was thinking, I was trying to think about too many things at once here. But, you know, I think to your point, a lot of companies, and I think this is given the rise to companies that put reviews on your page now for products. I think this is where that like social proof has become such a big, a big market, which is you go on Amazon you can find the reviews for the product right there. You know, you're all like, I don't know if it's conscious or subconscious, but I always get the product that has prime and the most reviews, you know, and you go through it and you're like, yeah, oh, this one's good. This one's good. You go check out the really bad reviews. You're like, oh, what's the worst thing that could happen if I get this product? I think it's the same thing when you go look at shirts or cars or, you know, whatever you read, you go to these, you know, places now and everyone has reviews already on their site. So you don't have to yeah. leave to go validate your thought process. It's all on the site. And it's just like standard conversion rate optimization practice. Like have social proof. You get awards, throw them on your landing page. You have, you know, reviews, you put them on your homepage. You know, you, you use what you got because then you you avoid people having to leave to, you know, to validate your message. And then also it when they leave, it breaks the chain of attribution to kind of tie this everything back together. It's yeah. you know, if, if they leave your site, now you have to guess or assume that they're going somewhere else, but you know you make a lot of a lot of assumptions. But if they stay on your site and you see that you know they're going from point A to your home site to the product page to the blog page about where can I find the best purchase home loans, and then that also has rates on it, and then they submit their info. You have that trail of like consciousness of 
okay, cool. I'll go here. Let me see the product. Oh, they let me see the info. Oh, they have the rates. Okay, cool. Let me, you know, let me go here. And it makes marketers job a lot easier that way too. Yeah, I can hundred percent agree there. I think again, the consumers are suddenly in the last few years more in control. Like where before marketers were in control, they were shoving ads down people's throats, you know, they could yeah. follow them with retargeting and personalization and all that. And it was almost like suddenly it just shifted. And now people are looking to trust other people about what products and services they want to buy. They want, yes. they want that, that validity of, you know, Hey, I, I use this. I, I bought this and it's good. A professional, you know, like I said, the like the points guy or a chef telling you why you would buy this knife over, why you'd spend a hundred dollars more, right? Yep. You don't have to, but if you do, this is what, what the difference is, right? Like most people yep. don't understand that. They, they look like the same knife. Yep. It's like toothpaste. Nine out of 10 dentists recommend this, you know, recommend this toothpaste on a panel, those types of things. I've been doing it yeah. forever. Yeah, you're right. So. Right. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love to see you at Partnerships Experience. Our annual flagship conference taking place in person for the first time in three years. Please join us on June 14th in New York City at Chelsea Piers to network, tap into the experiences of partnership leaders, and of course, enjoy the breathtaking views of the Pier 60 waterfront. To secure your ticket, check out the episode description or go to www.ipx22.splashthat.com. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. What's kind of keeping you up at night? What's got you a little worried? You know, I think with Google and Apple making some big first party changes and not allowing third party cookie and it all kind of comes back to attribution, I think for me, because ultimately I think to me that that drives a lot of, you know, uh, our, my strategy, but it's how do you own your own data now? Because you know, if you're in the app world, it's even more difficult. You know, you have the 14.5 or 14.6 came out like last year, a little, a little over last year. And that changed, that changed the game. You know, I think this is why people are leaning into or companies are trying to lean into like a CDP or, you know, some way to, uh, you know, Adobe or any of those really solid analytics platforms and trying to understand. That's why Google Analytics changed as well. They went from the to G4 to try to be able to provide another level of insight because everything is changing, you know? And I think as it becomes more important to own your own data, I think that's what kind of keeps me up at night a little bit is how do we keep the ball moving forward on that? How do we really continue to move the ball forward on owning our own data? But then at the same time, how do you leverage that data? How do you turn insights into action? Just because you have a ton of data and you've been storing it for 10 years doesn't mean that you can magically find some trend that's going to appear out of nowhere after you, you know, after you see it. It's like, how do you leverage that to now hone in your strategy? Is it audience segmentation? Is it trying to find new channels that are working that you didn't previously understand? You know, so I think it it really unlocks a ton of new doors that you can go down. It you just have to be able to harness it the right way. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you guys, I mean, not that every advertiser is in, in an ultra competitive industry, but you guys are really in a competitive industry and, and the costs are high for, for leads or for clicks, yep. right? I mean, it's no joke what people will pay for a mortgage click, right? Compared to apparel or uh, chef knives, yep. right? <laughs> so yep. I think data that that could be a little more, even more concerning because even just a little variation, I mean, a lot of spend goes unmeasured, I guess would be the 
or yeah, exactly. And especially in an industry where we're beholden to shifting market conditions, where I think like, you know, inflation affects every industry to a certain extent. But when the core of your business is predicated on something that you do not control, it becomes really difficult because now you're you're constantly having to be as reactive as possible while also trying to be proactive and say like, oh, okay, let's try to figure out what they're going to do here. Are they going to go up? We are coming into purchase season. What's going on? You know, I think that adds another layer of difficulty to our job at, at Penny Mac. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, you're not alone. That makes you yeah. feel better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. There's some very talented teams out there. So it makes our job even, even more difficult. Right. So let's uh, go to my other question I always like to ask on our podcast. And what industry dynamics have your attention? You know, I think since I'm so ingrained in the mortgage industry every day, you know, I think I kind of alluded to this, you know, I probably got ahead of you here, but, you know, I think it's very much we are stuck with whatever interest rates that we get. And I think we have to adjust our strategies accordingly. You know, rates go up, you move products, rates go down, you move products. You know, I think. Again, I think without giving in away too many trade secrets here, it's, you know, and you're going into the purchase industry too. So I think there's a ton of dynamics and especially in our own industry and you kind of layer on that data piece, you know, it, it made an already difficult job, even just that much more difficult, you know, kind of going on the data piece there as well. If you don't get access to the first party data anymore, or you don't know who it is or what they're doing on your site, you're kind of flying blind. You know, you're trying to land a plane in fog without any instruments working here. And you're hoping that you can see the lights on the ground <laughs> when you get there. You know, and I think that's to me that is is what you know really has my eye because I got to stay as proactive as possible. And I think that's one of the tough things for marketers specifically is you want to be as proactive as possible at all times. And I think it's tough where, you know, whenever you're applying for a job or whenever you see a job post out there, it says like, self-oriented can you know make their own decisions can do stuff on by themselves like doesn't need guidance but when you actually get there you're like well what does that really mean you know and and then it kind of dawns on you that it's like well i need to be really proactive here and i need to like predict the future but it's you know nobody can predict the future so it's kind of like a a balance of a game of cat and mouse you're like okay well you know google's making these changes so how do i how do i make changes to get ahead of this how do i how facebook is making some attribution changes well how do i get ahead of this so I think being able to leverage everything that you have is a good way to try to stay ahead of the curve here and keep your eye on the trends, but keep your eyes a little farther forward on the road. I mean, you do bring up an interesting perspective for a lender is that, you know, your interest rate is kind of like your price tag and mm -hmm. you don't get to set your prices. You know, obviously, even if I'm, I sell chef knives, I have an MSRP and I might be under it or I might include, you know, gift with purchase or free shipping, but I could sell it for $1 if I want, right? Yep. But you don't get to make those decisions. So you kind of got the government setting your price. <laughs> and you've got market conditions that could be compounding it. Obviously, if the interest rate goes down, that helps you with your, your costs in a way because um, you can get conversion rates up higher, less consideration. People just, you know, I'll refi or whatever it takes, right? Because the rates are good. Yep, exactly. So you're, you're trying to predict that. You're like, ah, well, maybe people want to go for a cash out because rates are rising. Maybe, you know, rates go down and for a week and a half, you're like, okay, cool. Maybe let's pivot real quick and see what we can get, you know, but I think these are, these are general strategies. I think everyone in the mortgage industry, the other unfortunate part is that everyone in the mortgage industry has to shift as quickly as the market does. So 
you want to shift to purchase. Okay, well, everyone is shifting to purchase. You want to shift here, everyone is shifting there. So it's like trying to be the first mover in an already very competitive industry, like you said, with a ton of money in it. And your marketing message, right? Yep. Even just your ads, your keywords, but also just what you're saying in your ads. I mean, that's in, in the landing pages. I'm sure you have to shift heavily yep. there, right? And yep, exactly. It's like starting exactly. over when you get a major shift like that. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And then you throw seasonality in there. It, it definitely keeps me on my toes. We all we all joke about it at work. You know, you're always on your toes in the mortgage industry because you never know, you never quite know what's going to happen across the board to sales, everyone. Well, I mean, they did, the Fed did hint that this increase was coming for a while and then they did yep. announce it would happen. So, I mean, that little bit of heads up, did it help or? <laughs> you know, I think it only helps as much as you you think it helps, you know, because like ultimately, as we all know, the Fed could go in and say, oh, we're going to do 50 basis points and then they'll do 25. And then or they could do 25 and say 50. You never know until like that few hours afterwards where you're like, okay, did we make the right decision or not? So, you know, they always keep you guessing in very political fashion. Well, I mean, with inflation now, I think a lot of brands today can relate in a certain way because their costs are going up or inventory is low or delayed. And all of that, you know, obviously impacts their profitability and where they can spend money in marketing. Because if you don't have products, you can't fulfill or costs go up and demand goes down because it's all economics. But uh, yep, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I'm sure everybody's kind of feeling like they work for a mortgage company right now <laughs> with the way the economy yep. is today. But, exactly. Uh, it's all right. Level the playing field a little bit. Yeah. Everyone want a good yeah. taste. Yeah, well, it gives people a lot of good experience if they want to go in the mortgage industry, right? You go exactly, exactly. So let's just talk about your career a little bit. You know, who has been a mentor or inspiration along the way? You know, not to sound cliche, I have two. One is is my father. That's the cliche answer. Um, mm-hmm. Entrepreneur, worked for Apple for a couple of years, started two businesses, you know, didn't like working for somebody else. So tried to, you know, went back to being his own boss, you know, and I think he really showed me, you know, the hard work side of the the business. He went in the office every day, starting at 4am and would come home at 5pm, probably five or six days a week, my whole life, but always made an effort to try to come to my, my games or whatever it was. You know, I think he really showed me how much hard work you can actually put into something that, you know, no matter what happens, there's typically a light at the end of the tunnel. It just may be a bit farther away than you had expected. You kind of plan for the unexpected. You know, and I think secondly, a couple of years ago, like more than a couple of years ago at this point, but I think it was my one of my first jobs out of college. And a guy by the name of Ben Ashworth, you know, I think when you're young, you think that you know everything, especially in marketing. You're like, oh, I have no paid search and I know this and oh, SEO, I can write content. It's not easy. You know, it's like writing a college essay, an introduction, some keyword stuffing, and you know, you're good to go. And, you know, I think I really went in there thinking I knew everything and he was able to really have me take a step back and show me the technical side of, of marketing. You know, I think marketing gets a rap for being very much like brand and content and creative and, you know, very like, and those are really important aspects, but I think a lot of what digital acquisition is, it ends up being a science. It ends up being like a game of cat and mouse of like, oh, let me change this copy. Let me change this landing page. You know, he really showed me the technical side of it, the numbers side of it, of like analysis and having data and really getting deep into like websites and code and, you know, trying to really understand like what makes people tick and why. 
I think that really changed, I think, my fundamental view of, of marketing. And, you know, I don't think I've ever really looked back, back since then. So, yeah, that's always nice that uh, early kind of mentoring and, and learning, I guess, helped you develop some good habits and strategies early on. Better to learn that earlier than later. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, get I think there. <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, I think they both let me fail, which is another thing. It's like, and this is also pretty cliche of me to say, but it's like, you never learn much from your successes. You typically learn more from your failures. And I failed a lot. But then once you kind of get comfortable with that failure, you become more comfortable like testing things and trying things out. And, you know, maybe this landing page didn't test didn't work, or maybe that content was a huge flop and we lost SEO rankings. But now you kind of have that like mindset of like, well, I'm just going to test and I'm going to test and keep testing and keep testing and keep testing until I find the quote unquote perfect copy and creative combination and the perfect keyword set and the negatives. And I'm going to find the perfect layout for my website and has the best conversion rate and those types of items. I think it in marketing, you have to test. Otherwise, you end up being stagnant. And there's too many smart people, way smarter than me out there that are constantly testing and ideating and, and doing things. So I got I to gotta work hard to keep up with them. Yeah, I mean, it's easy, but there's something to fix if it's not working. If it's working, there's nothing to fix, really. I mean, yep. you know what I mean? It's So I think not getting it right or it not going as anticipated, uh, you know, on paper, it was supposed to do this, it didn't. Now we have something to fix, right? So it does give you that ability to work and learn. And then hopefully the next time you take some of that learning and you, you don't fail as much or you don't miss the data as far. So you're you're able to you know move forward faster, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Zach. And obviously, financial services is a huge industry, and um, it's always great to get perspective from that side of the marketing world versus yeah. you know retail and services uh, that are a little different. So um, yeah. I really appreciate yeah. you coming on and sharing all that. And uh, yeah, really, really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thank you. It's been a great time. It's always nice to talk about this stuff outside of, you know, outside of my actual day job as a, a nice conversation to have. So I appreciate you having me on and, you know, hopefully you and uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday. Mm-hmm.